It's the most commonly diagnosed chromosomal condition in the U.S. Each year in the United States, there's about 6,000 babies born who have Down syndrome. So Down syndrome occurs in about one in every 700 babies. Each person with Down syndrome will have different abilities. On today's show, learn about Down syndrome and hear from a mother who shares her family's experience with it. I am happy to speak up, to share openly for both Oliver and the community, participating local events, sharing our story. Plus discover a project that's improving the quality of life for kids with cognitive and physical disabilities. What we do here is fight for people's right to mobility so that young babies, toddlers, and children with disabilities can get around more easily and more independently. We're learning and raising awareness about Down syndrome inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Versity, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. It's a disorder that causes varying degrees of cognitive and physical challenges, along with other medical issues. Chances are you've heard of Down syndrome, but today, together, let's learn more about it. For this, we enlist the help of an expert. Dr. Pamela Schultz is an assistant professor, Department of Pediatrics, at the Medical College of Wisconsin and a pediatrician specializing in complex care, special needs, at Children's Wisconsin. Dr. Schultz first gives this brief overview of what Down syndrome is. Down syndrome is the most common chromosomal condition in the United States. Each person with Down syndrome will have different abilities, that it all is varied in what the outcomes are. She tells us Down syndrome isn't a singular condition. In fact, there are three types of Down syndrome. The most common type of Down syndrome, which is about 95% of the people, have trisomy 21. As the most common type of Down syndrome, how does trisomy 21 occur? It happens when there is an extra complete third separate chromosome or extra piece of chromosome 21 instead of the usual two copies. The second and less common type of Down syndrome is called translocation Down syndrome, which is where an extra part of chromosome 21 is present, but it's attached or translocated from a different chromosome rather than being a separate chromosome 21. And the third, least common type is called mosaic Down syndrome, which is only about 2% of the population. Mosaic means there's a mixture or combination, and so for children who are mosaic Down syndrome, some of their cells have this extra chromosome and some don't, so it's not a complete Down syndrome where every cell in a body has an extra 21 chromosome. How does Down syndrome occur? Is the extra 21st chromosome inherited from one or both parents? No. The extra 
extra chromosome is something that just happens when the cells are dividing. It's not something that's inherited or passed down. It happens randomly. There's no reason for it to happen. It's not inherited by the parents in typical trisomy 21. Are the different types of Down syndrome only distinguishable by looking at their chromosomal characteristics? Yes, for the most part. Looking at someone, you can't tell what type a person would have without doing testing. There are some cases, individuals with mosaic Down syndrome have less of the physical characteristics. So sometimes you can gauge that, but there's no way to really tell that without chromosomal testing. Exactly how common is Down syndrome in the U.S. today? Each year in the United States, there's about 6,000 babies born who have Down syndrome. So Down syndrome occurs in about one in every 700 babies. Therefore, making Down syndrome. The most common chromosomal condition diagnosed in the United States. So it is one of the most common conditions that can happen during a pregnancy. And it occurs equally across races, ethnicities, and genders across the globe. There's no predisposition regarding gender, race, or country of origin for increased rates of Down syndrome. There are some countries that handle things a little bit differently as far as prenatal counseling if Down syndrome is detected. What are common risk factors for having a child born with Down syndrome? The biggest risk factor is age. We know that women over 35 have a higher risk of having a child with Down syndrome. How much greater is the risk? A 35-year-old woman has about a 1 in 350 chance of conceiving a child with Down syndrome, and this gradually increases to about a 1 in 100 chance by age 40. And by age 45, this becomes about a 1 in 30 chance. But Dr. Schultz says it can and does happen with younger mothers as well. A majority of the babies born with Down syndrome are actually born to younger moms just because there are more babies born with younger moms. How and when is Down syndrome typically diagnosed? Down syndrome is typically diagnosed prenatally. There are screening tests offered to all women to screen for certain chromosomal, genetic, and structural anomalies of babies. The screening tests don't provide absolute diagnosis, but they do indicate if there's a high risk. And then mothers and families can be counseled on having a more specific diagnostic test at that point. Are there symptoms during pregnancy that could prompt testing for Down syndrome? There are some congenital heart defects that go along with having Down syndrome. Some babies who on prenatal ultrasounds are found to have specific congenital heart defects and would warrant screening for Down syndrome associated with those defects. Can Down syndrome go undetected prenatally? Yes. Screening tests are not 100% reliable. There can be a screening test that does not show risks for Down syndrome, and baby does not have things noted on prenatal ultrasound. So there are frequently babies born not identified as having Down syndrome prior to delivery. What are common physical characteristics associated with Down syndrome? Dr. Schultz says there are several, including... Face tends to be a little bit flatter, especially the bridge of their nose. Almond-shaped eyes that typically slant upward. A shortened neck. Smaller ears. Their tongue appears to be larger for their mouth and often is sticking out. People with Down syndrome tend to have smaller hands and feet. And then ultimately, they tend to grow a little bit differently. And people with Down syndrome are shorter in general. Many of these physical features significantly impact people with Down syndrome. 
beginning at birth. Babies with Down syndrome tend to have lower muscle tone. It tends to be harder for them to hold their heads up, harder for them to do some of the early developmental motor milestones. So one of the things to promote best outcomes is providing a lot of early intervention, a lot of early physical therapy to work on those motor skills and teach the parents the developmental skills. In addition, there are many cognitive impacts as well. People with Down syndrome have lower cognitive or intellectual abilities, often in the mild to moderately low range, and often have trouble with developmental verbal skills. But there's a wide range, and there's no good predictor of how a child is going to function as an adult. After all, Dr. Schultz reminds us that every person with Down syndrome is unique and every person with Down syndrome has a wide range of abilities and strengths and weaknesses just like everybody else does. Although it's a lifelong condition, there are ways to improve physical and cognitive abilities for someone with Down syndrome. Early intervention, good physical therapy, speech therapy is critical for children with Down syndrome. Speech skills are directly related to independence in the community, so we want to promote good speech. Good education in schools with inclusion with typical peers. And inclusion is key which is why we must all remember that people with Down syndrome are people and children first. So we look at them in the communities and then socially and in the families as a typical child and not something special just because they have Down syndrome. Dr. Schultz says there's clinical research being done to improve quality of life and outcomes. There's research on effective programs for schooling, early intervention, coming up with concise medical guidelines for children when there are some new medical guidelines for adults with Down syndrome. The research is really more functional research looking at quality of life and how to address issues when they come up. There's some great resources to learn all about Down syndrome. The best resource is the National Down Syndrome Society, NDSS. The Down Syndrome Association of Wisconsin, or DSAW, is also very helpful for people in Wisconsin for any information regarding Down syndrome. Speaking of being helpful, Dr. Schultz says it's helpful for all of us to treat people with Down syndrome not looking down on them and not any different than you would treat anybody else. Just as it's helpful for parents to know that having Down syndrome is not a bad thing. It can be a great thing. Just know that your child is going to have a great and meaningful life and do whatever they want to do as an adult. Now, we hear from a mother in our community who, along with her husband, have a young son with Down syndrome. And today, she shares her family's experience with us. Let's meet her now. My name is Stacy from Chicago originally, but I have been in Milwaukee for about 10 years. My husband Mike is from Waukesha. We live in Bayview Borough of Milwaukee with our son Oliver. As parents of a young child, Stacy describes her and her husband Mike's life today as... We have two modes. We're either on and we're very outgoing, we're very adventurous, and we're walking 20 miles a day, or we are off and we are watching a movie with some popcorn just hanging out. There's not a lot of in-between. And as relatively new parents, they need those two distinct modes in keeping up with their son, Oliver. So far, he's a pretty normal 10-month-old and likes to lick everything. <laughs> but he's very interested in the world, loves taking buggy rides, he loves being in his car seat. He kind of giggles when we put him in his car seat, which is awesome. But he really only gets upset when he's getting really tired and he doesn't want to go to bed. Otherwise, he's just a ham. 
Stacy says, in some ways, life hasn't changed all that much since Oliver was born. We are very lucky. Oliver has actually been sleeping through the night since he was eight weeks old. So we were able to find balance a lot faster than most. He just is such a consistent kid. Of course, as new parents, life hasn't been without changes or challenges. There are things we have to do for Ollie at certain times. We have to make sure that we're kind of thinking ahead more than we would normally. So we definitely have to be thinking things through more. And Stacy says news they received at Oliver's birth did cause her and Mike's life to change undoubtedly, indelibly. About six minutes after he was born, I'm very thankful Mike was holding Oliver at the time. I heard the doctor telling me this information, but it was not going anywhere at the time because I kind of blacked out for a while. The information they received was that Oliver has Down syndrome. It's a trisomy 21. He had all the markers, so the doctor knew immediately. And he even said to us, we need a blood test. But in my experience, I'm pretty certain. And so we had to start digesting that right away before even moving out of labor and delivery. Oliver's diagnosis came as a complete surprise because there were no signs during Stacy's pregnancy. Not at all. We did have the option to do the screening, but we had always been really healthy. We decided to pass on the screening test, and I had, for all intents and purposes, a very easy pregnancy. So I didn't even think about any concern with anything. Once the diagnosis was confirmed, Stacy says the initial impact was immediate and intense. Oh boy. There was surprise, fear, guilt, and steady rotation because you process, you know, what did I do? Which still, when I say that, I get really emotional. I can tear up very quickly when I think about that. Her reaction was understandable, natural, still. You don't want to feel guilty. You Everyone was going to have different feelings about this news. So we processed the news for us, for Oliver, and then for our families, and it just was this constant rotation of surprise, fear, and guilt. And those feelings didn't go away quickly. It took me months before I spoke to anybody other than my parents and my best friends about that first day because I felt so terrible, how guilty that made me feel. Stacy says what came much quicker was acceptance of Oliver's Down syndrome and how it would impact all their lives. It took us about two days to come down to Earth, which in retrospect isn't too bad. But she and her husband came to acceptance in their own ways. I had to go through a emotional process of outbursts and tears and Google research. And my husband just kind of stared at the wall and I was like, what you doing over there? And he was like, I'm just thinking we process differently, but we did give each other the space to do so. It also gave them time to think about Oliver's life ahead, living with Down syndrome. I was never concerned about his life as a child. I was scared about his young, independent life. So I immediately found a lot of information about happy, healthy, independent 25- and 30-year-olds whose stories made me feel a lot better because I was thinking about Oliver outside of the structure of his parents. Meanwhile, Stacy's husband, Mike, went 100% into protective mode because his thoughts jumped straight to, like, how Oliver was going to navigate school and bullies. So we had a little bit of a different perspective of the arc of his life. But we knew that this kid was going to be cherished. And he is cherished. But has accepting and embracing Oliver's Down syndrome changed their perspective on parenting? I don't think too much. 
we're doing what we think we would have already done. The only difference is we have a larger community. We have physical therapists and occupational therapists that he's seeing, but I don't think the way that we're parenting is any different. Although he's still very young, does Stacy have any concerns about Oliver's development so far? He is presenting very mildly so far, but I am nervous about when he gets to the communication stage because we don't know how that's going to present. So finding out how my child is going to learn to communicate is the biggest fear I have right now. But she says they're prepared to advocate for Oliver and help him overcome challenges he may face in his path. We don't know what we'll do in some situations, but we do know that we have physical therapy plans, we have educational plans, we have savings plans, but I can't say for sure that we're going into every what if and how would we prevent it unless we know it's something that we need to do for Oliver. What about advocating for our Down syndrome population at large? I am happy to speak up, to share openly for both Oliver and the community, participating in local events sharing our story, but I'm probably not going to overreach either unless it's something that becomes a natural extension of our current lives. Oliver's been receiving lots of therapy to improve his quality of life, almost from the beginning. Once he was out of NICU, immediately started OT, PT, and SLP, which is speech-language pathology, for eating at week six. He immediately had all of this support from the in-home therapist. So far, producing great results. Ollie has remarkably stayed about 95% on pace with any, air quotes, typical child. We're just beyond thankful for the whole team. If any were offered, would Stacy consider participation in clinical trials for Down syndrome patients and families? I mean, I definitely trust the experts. So if somebody at Children's Hospital recommended it, we have to trust the experts that we've connected with. So if somebody told us to participate in something like that and that Oliver would be a good candidate, we certainly would. Stacy has something for other new parents of children with Down syndrome. It's an analogy she found online called Welcome to Holland. Welcome to Holland made me feel so much better. It's like packing for a vacation to go to Paris and you get on the plane and you land, you have your baby, and you find out you didn't arrive in Paris, you arrived in Holland. It's a totally surreal, I'm not supposed to be here moment. Party was like, man, what would have happened if we went to Paris? But then you're like, Holland is pretty freaking awesome, and maybe someday I'll go to Paris. But you're in Holland now. And she hopes for understanding and acceptance of people with Down syndrome from all of us. They really understand the world. Kids and young adults with Down syndrome completely take it in and understand everything around them in real time. They just don't know how to communicate it back as quickly as other people. So I think it's good advice for everyone to slow down, take a breath. And if we all do that, Oliver and others with Down syndrome can enjoy the quality of life they deserve. Like any parent, I just want him to be fulfilled, independent, have a purpose. He can do whatever he wants to do as long as he's fulfilled and feels like he has a purpose. I think that's really important for people that need additional support. These young adults can do a lot of things if we give them the chance. There's a long way to go there, and I hope that we get there a little bit better before Oliver's older. Next, we discover a national program that's focused on small children with mobility challenges due to physical and cognitive disabilities. It's called Go Baby Go. 
and it's providing independence and quality of life for kids by putting them behind the wheel of customized, motorized cars. Dr. Elizabeth Conrath is a pediatric physical therapist at Children's Wisconsin and a key member of the Go Baby Go Milwaukee Project. Dr. Conrath first shares the aim of this amazing program. Go Baby Go is an organization that was started about 2010 by Dr. Cole Galloway at the University of Delaware. What we do here is fight for people's right to mobility so that young babies, toddlers, and children with gross motor impairments and other disabilities can get around more easily and more independently. What was the specific need identified leading to its inception? Dr. Galloway and his team were feeling frustrated over the limitations that our children with physical mobility needs have in terms of getting wheelchairs early, specifically power wheelchairs. The source of this frustration? Insurance companies often don't want to pay for a wheelchair for a child at a really early age, two or three, because that child will have so much growth going on in the next couple of years, and they're not sure that the child will be able to drive the wheelchair well and navigate the joystick. Dr. Conrath says the passionate belief driving Go Baby Go is that being able to more independently move yourself through space gives a sense of autonomy and independence. Really looking at the holistic development of the child leads to cognitive gains, more opportunities for social interaction, verbal exchanges. So rather than having these children be moved around passively by parents and caregivers, Dr. Galloway and his team thought, how can we get these kiddos moving where they're more in charge of that mobility, but in a safe way? Looking for inspiration, this is where the story takes an interesting turn. Because she says Dr. Galloway and his team had a meeting at a Toys R Us and just looked around for what to use to get these kiddos safely moving. And that's when they grabbed Fisher-Price electric ride-on cars and started to get to work. And get to work, they did. Today, Go Baby Go is a nationwide program, including right here in our community. Dr. Galloway says, take this project and make it your own. Let's get kids into cars. We take little ride-on electric cars and adapt them electrically and then with different postural adjustments. So for our Go Baby Go Milwaukee program, we start as young as 9 or 10 months old. And the oldest children that we're fitting now are children who are 5 years old. So we're talking really young children. I'd say our average age of child that we fit into a car is 2 or 3. We'll learn more about these customized cars in a moment. First, Dr. Conrath tells us how challenging mobility can be for kids with physical and cognitive disabilities. Many children who have Down syndrome or other impairments such as cerebral palsy or spina bifida, these children are really limited for the first years of their life before we're even able to help the kiddos sit independently and then start working toward crawling or movement while they're laying on their bellies and start thinking about standing or walking if that might be a possibility for the given child. Next, she shares details about the motorized cars for kids. Typically, these ride-on cars, the child uses their foot to control the little gas pedal and then operate the steering wheel with their hand. That's just a lot for many of our children who have disabilities to coordinate too much to be able to do in these cars. So the cars provided by Go Baby Go have customized electrical features, things like a soft start option. So that the 
car doesn't start abruptly. We, of course, take safety as our number one consideration for these children. So many of them provide a soft start option. Special buttons to propel the car. So that instead of the car needing to be propelled by the foot pedal, they put a big button, a diameter of about five or six inches, on the steering wheel. Many of these children are accustomed to those buttons because a lot of modified toys that children with disabilities can play with use that same button. It's a big, bright, colorful button. They're kind of drawn to it. It's sensitive. So when they tap it just a little bit, it helps the car go. Different steering options. Given the children's ages and diagnoses or difficulties, we decide whether or not that's a good idea for them to be in charge of steering it. If they are, we make sure that they have a caregiver or parent who can kind of run alongside the car and then hit the kill switch quickly if the car needs to be turned off. There's even remote control cars. Which is a really nice pairing because parents have to be pressing the propulsion button on the remote control simultaneously with the child pressing the button on the car. And then the parents can help drive to the sides or forward or backwards. And there are safety and postural customizations made to the cars as well. In the cases where the children are strong and have the greatest postural control, we use a lap belt. But I'd say in the vast majority, we actually use a five-point harness to give the child more trunk control. Sometimes we use supports next to the child, you know, to keep them in a better posture and position. And then add in little supports either under their feet or under their bottom or behind their back as additional support for the child. Go Baby Go Milwaukee is a collaborative effort between Children's Wisconsin and the Marquette University and Medical College of Wisconsin's Orthopedic and Rehabilitation Engineering Center. Dr. Conrath describes how this team works with families in getting kids behind the wheel of these special cars. We have an online application for families. Many of the families we know either through our physical therapy and occupational therapy department at Children's or through our rehab department from different therapy locations or birth to three centers. Parents fill out the application and then therapists contact the families to set up their sitting. We do six per month on Sunday mornings and early afternoons. We have a Marquette engineer there with us as well as Marquette students. We have physical therapy students, occupational therapy students, and engineering students. The team works together in determining each child's individual needs, then adapt each car to meet those needs. And then about three weeks later, parents go to Marquette and pick up the car for the child. Best of all, the cars are provided for free to children who need them. And if you're wondering if you can make a donation... Yes, they are able to make a donation. We'll post a link on our CTSI website, along with the podcast of this show. So how has Dr. Conrath seen mobility and quality of life improve through the Go Baby Go project? It's been really wonderful talking with families who receive their cars. Sometimes the children are a little apprehensive at first, but quickly they become in love with their cars. And once they do, it's Go Baby Go. Parents and families say it's so nice to be able to do family outings and allow their child who has the disability to really participate rather than left on the sidelines more. She's seen how the car strengthen family bonds. If the child does have siblings, in many cases we'll do a two-seater Jeep so that a sibling can ride right next to the child who has a disability. And parents are so excited about how the car allows siblings to really bond with one another and play together, have the same experience. And bring additional positive attention from other children who 
previously hadn't paid attention to the child with a disability or had paid attention and felt intimidated by going to talk to that child. But now with the car, these children are much more approachable to other young children. As a pediatric physical therapist, Dr. Conrath understands the very real challenges of having a child with a disability. It can be isolating and a little bit scary sometimes to learn that your child has a disability and to start to integrate what that will look like into your life. But I would say really seek out support. There are so many great resources. Resources like the Go Baby Go Milwaukee Project. Baby Go program can be one of those resources. All of us know that these children who have special and unique abilities are just about the most amazing people in the world. We all have so much to learn from them. The children can bring us so much joy to celebrate who they are. And on that positive note, we've reached the end for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. As always, thanks to all of our guests for appearing on today's show. Dr. Pamela Schultz, Dr. Elizabeth Conrath, and a special thanks to Stacy for introducing us to her awesome son, Oliver. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.